So uh, somehow they let me back up here, I guess. No one threw tomatoes at me last time. I, uh, yeah, practice makes perfect. So far, so good. I didn't get smited. I didn't have fire rain down upon me. So the wrath of the Lord didn't come upon me. So I guess so far, so good. Uh, so as we open our Bibles to Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, I'm going to give you guys a brief overview of who Jonah is and... So we all know the story. Everyone knows the story of Jonah. I think a prophet who got swallowed by a fish, probably one of the most popular stories in the Bible. And, um, you know, the thing that I always seem to forget about Jonah when I hear the story of Jonah is that uh, there was a man that got swallowed by a fish, that actually got swallowed by a fish. This isn't some, like, fable made up that we tell kids or a nice little metaphor there was a man that got swallowed by a fish for three days and then puked back up on shore. And so, I don't know. If that's not enough to satisfy you, then I don't know what will. So, so I'll see you later. Worship team, you can come back up. That's it. No, just kidding. So Jonah, Jonah means dove. Uh, Jonah was a prophet to Israel. He's the son of Amittai, which means truth. Uh, he comes from the land of Gath Hefer, which is a small little town on the northern end of Israel. Present day, actually, there's no Gath Hefer, it's just an area of ruins. The book of Jonah is four chapters long, and he's considered one of the 12 minor prophets. If you show up to Wee College on Tuesday morning, you can hear about the other 11 minor prophets. Uh, Jonah, he's a minor prophet, not because he's worth any less than the five major prophets, but simply because. They call them minor prophets just because of their size. They're, the books are a little bit smaller, not as much content as the major prophets. And then even within those 12 minor prophets, the interesting thing about Jonah is that he's a little bit more unique in the sense that he's the only book that is a bit more of a, a narrative. Rather than focusing on the actual prophecies that are spoken, the book of Jonah is a little bit more on his, his life and in his travels, and it's a bit more like a, a classic book that you can read from start to finish. It's got adventure, it's got humor, it's got irony, it's got redemption. The book of Jonah was written sometime around uh, 826 BC during the, king of, the reign of King Jeroboam II. And during this time, around uh, 826 BC, uh, the Assyrian Empire is pretty strong. And they're getting even stronger. They're a bit of a thorn in the side of Israel. They're, they're uh, threatening with sieges, threatening with attacks. And uh, up until this point, um, Jonah, who was a prophet to the people of Israel, he wanted no part of the Assyrians. He didn't want anything to do with Syria or anywhere outside of Israel. He was a prophet to Israel, and that was his, his duty. And he even despised the Assyrians. So let's pray as we get into God's word. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to, yeah, get together and, and get into your word. I pray that you would uh, just bless me with the Holy Spirit this morning as I share your words, Lord. And I pray that my words would go out clear and, and, uh, and precise. Amen. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 page 775 in my Bible. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. 
So right away here, God speaks to Jonah and tells him to arise and go to Nineveh. Nineveh, a great city. Um, At this time, Nineveh was a population of about 120,000. It took about three days of walking around to, to get all around it, to traverse from one side to the other. And as we read the first verse here, a key word to remember here is the idea that God calls Jonah to arise. But what does Jonah do? Verse 3 goes on. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah rises... He gets up, he goes, yeah, I can do that. He rises, but instead of following the directions of God, he goes down to Joppa, got on a ship, and got down into the bowels of the ship headed to Tarshish. And so sometimes when I read the Bible here, I'll I'll see the names of people or places, and I'll just kind of skim over them and go, yeah, Joppa, Tarshish, whatever, it's all good. But I actually have a map this time, and I have a nice little pointer stick here, if we have the map. So... I am making so this is Gath Heifer, where he, where Jonah was born. He went down to Joppa, if everyone can see, and then he made the trip, or spoiler alert, tried to make the trip over to Tarshish. And so um, one of the things to remember here is we can see as we look at the map, Joppa and Tarshish uh, across the Mediterranean Sea from each other. That's a pretty far far ways away. Joppa was a major, major port city at the time of Jonah, so it would make sense that Jonah would go down there because he could be sure that there would be a ship that he could get on. And so the boat had a destination of Tarshish, which is way over on the opposite side. And that distance between Joppa and Tarshish is about 2,500 miles, whereas the difference between Joppa and Nineveh is only about 500 miles. So Jonah was making uh, quite the effort to get away from God, where God was calling him. So Jonah, he got off to a great start. You know, he heard God's calling. Okay, yeah, you want me to get up? Um, I can do that. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a prophet to God. That's definitely something I can do. I love going. Where are we going today, God? Arise and go to uh, Nineveh? You mean, you mean the Assyrians? No, no, I don't think so. Jonah says, no, I'm, uh, I'm not doing that. I'm going down to Joppa. I'm getting on this boat, and I'm going down to the bowels of the ship. And this idea of going down continues throughout Jonah as a move just totally opposite to what God's calling him to do. And, uh, and you know, how often does this happen to, to us or to me, that, that we have a desire to be used by God? You know, I want to hear the voice of God telling me where to go who to invest in, what to do. And you know what, God, I'm willing to go. How often do we say that? Just tell me where you want me to go. And then when he tells you, it's all of a sudden, wait a minute, you want me to go where? You want, are you sure, God, are you sh- Nah, I don't think so. I'm going this way because I don't really want to do that. You know, uh, in youth group, we meet here every Friday, 7 to 9. We have tons of fun. But sometimes, just sometimes, not well, maybe a little bit more than sometimes. When a group of about 10 to 15 teenagers get together, sometimes things start to get a little wild. And you know, sometimes, just sometimes, when things get a little wild, sometimes things get a little broken. 
Uh, I don't know if anyone noticed, but about uh, four to six months ago, we got a new clock. And that may or may not have been thanks to the uh, CTK youth group who generously saw the need for a new clock here and thought to themselves, you know what? Why don't we just kick a ball at it? (laughs) So the ball, square on the clock, knocked it off, uh, and it actually caused a couple of hands to fall off. And what's the first reaction when something like that happens? You know, it's, oh, shoot, quick, put it back up, hang it back up. It's all good. No one will notice. It's all good. Who cares if the second hand is like resting inside on the bottom and there's only like a minute hand that's slowly going around still. It's all good. You know, rather than come out and admit that, okay, we made a mistake and, and uh, confess to it, we, we try to cover our tracks. We try to look the other way. And... You know, sometimes I do this when it comes to sin. I, I forget about it. I, I just leave it for a few days. I, I kind of try and cover it up, and I think, you know what, maybe just a few days, I'll, I'll come back to it. God won't notice, and I'll come back to God in a few days, and we'll call it even. It'll all be good. And I think that's what Jonah's trying to accomplish here. Um, you know, rather than, rather than go to those heathen people up in Nineveh, I'm just going to go over to Tarshish here for a few months maybe and where God, where God can't find me, you know, I'm away from his people, I'm away from Israel, he won't see me. I'll be over in Tarshish for a few months and then I'll come back and we'll all be good. I'll get back to uh, doing the prophet thing. Well, you know, it doesn't really work that way, does it? <laughs> I've got a secret for you guys I'm willing to share. Uh, God does not forget and God will get his way. So we can do it our way or we can do it God's way. We can try and cover up our tracks for a little while until eventually we need to just come to God and and repent or we can keep that short account with God and quit trying to run because I'll tell you what, God's way is the best way. So Jonah gets in the ship and and off they go. A fun little boat ride. Everyone loves a boat ride, right? Verse four goes on. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the Lord sent a great wind so strong that it threatened to break the ship. Often we think of, of Jesus as being one who, who calms all storms, you know, with, with Peter walking on the water or, or when he was asleep in the boat uh, with his disciples. Um, while the storm was going on, he woke up and calmed the seas. And the thing about our God is that he's a mighty God and one, a mighty God who the winds and waters obey, not only to calm the seas, but they also obey him when he wants to stir them up. Uh, you know, living on the coast here is pretty nice. It's, it's nice to have access to the ocean at any time. Um, I'll tell you guys a random story that just came to my head. I have a friend that went to school in Ontario, inland, and uh, you know, she met some friends at university, and they came to visit her here on the coast, and they went to the beach and left their left their shoes and stuff at the beach, and then uh, the shoes got taken away from the tide coming in. And her friend from Ontario had never seen the ocean before and didn't understand that tides come in. Uh, 
and go out. And it's something that I think, when I thought about it, it's something that I think I take for granted, the idea of being near the ocean and, and having these awesome views all around us. Uh, the past, this past church camp out that we had over the long weekend, Matt uh, actually took us out on his little inflatable and took a few of us out at, in the evening and took a rip around the inlet there. And it was just a beautiful glass, glass sea. And as we were about to come back in, we just had this awesome sunset view of the sky. And, and it was just, I can't even really explain how gorgeous it was. It was just awesome. And then in contrast to that, however, I'll never forget the roughest seas that I've been in. About two years ago, uh, we were headed over to Gambier Island, actually, to do some plumbing. And I'll tell you what, my friends, the sea was angry that day. But we had a job to do. We had to get it done. And we are going to get it done. So we hopped on a little boat, this guy, uh, the sea tow guy, actually. And uh, he took us across. And let me preface this story by saying... Big props to that guy at Sito. He knows how to handle that boat. Uh, so we're jetting across. We're going across from the marina here over to the West Bay on, on Gambier Island. And, and it was pretty nasty out. There was rain coming down. The wind was whipping up. He's got a little kind of inside place where you can sit with a little, you know, a little covered area. So we're sitting in there kind of looking out the back of the boat as the waves are going over the back of the boat. And I'm trying to make sure all of our stuff is still staying on the boat as we're going over all the swells. And, and so we pull up to where we're about to get off. And, and where we're going to get off isn't like a, it's not a pier where they got, you know, pilings drived into the ground or anything. It's just one of those floating docks. And so the dock's going up and down as the boat's going up and down. And the captain's trying to maneuver us in there. He's kind of got his butt end up to the, to the dock, and, and uh, my partner's there on the dock, and I'm on the boat and trying to throw things off to him, and, and all of a sudden, uh, I hear the captain yell, hold on, and he rips away, he guns away, because the big swell came and kind of pushed us, and, and so he's ripping around and comes back around and lines it up again. He's trying to stay away from the rocks, and and uh, so I start tossing things back on again as he starts catching it, and I jump off onto the dock, and tell you what, I have no idea how something didn't fall in the water that day. I have no idea. I was about 75% sure one of us was going in the water because this, it was just insane. <laughs> and I can only imagine how, you know, that was nothing compared to what, what this boat's going through right now. The swells and the craziness of what was going on with these men as the rain is just beating down on them. The swells are crashing into their ship. They're fearing for their lives and they you know, just start tossing cargo overboard in an, in an attempt to lighten the ship, and, and they're crying out to their gods for help. And you know, how often uh, do we do this, where in times of trouble in life, as, as the waves are crashing around us in the midst of a storm, we have a tendency uh, to, try and, to try and solve and fix things with our own reasoning and problem-solving. We start disposing of things like the sailors are doing. In a desperate attempt to right our own ship, we shed things and we cry out to our gods to help us. For some of that, that could be money. For some, it could be power. For some, it could be relationships. Or, or for some, it could even be the church or ministry, turning ministry into your own god. And so by using our own gods or, or manly endeavors, we seek to right our own ship that can only 
be fixed by the help of God. So as the waves are crashing down, things are going haywire. I can imagine the scene. Men are yelling, you know, they're hollering across the ship. The, the sea's tumbling and roaring. They're probably struggling to hang on. They're going, grabbing from piece to piece as they're making their way down the ship, trying to throw stuff overboard. And what's our boy Jonah doing? He's downstairs. He's praying for help. He's crying out to the... Wait a minute. No, he's not. Last part of verse 5 into verse 6 says... But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So Jonah's asleep during all this. He's asleep. And uh, there's another place actually where I'm reminded as I read this of where we see a man sleeping in a boat during a storm. Like we mentioned earlier, Mark chapter 4, where Jesus calms the storm with his disciples. However, I have a feeling that these, these two men are not asleep for the same reason. You see, Jonah, he's, he's removed himself from the presence of God. He's fallen asleep to the happenings around him. Rather than awake and open his eyes, he continues to be a sleeping Christian. And you know, as a Christian, it's easy to fall asleep and be like Jonah, to become asleep to the fact that in this moment right now, I need God. Let me tell you something. I have a special talent, personally. Special set of skills. Set of skills that I've acquired over a fairly long time, 25 years. Uh, It's a unique skill that most people don't have. It's um, When it's time for me to go to bed... I can be asleep within five minutes. Now, don't get jealous, but all you have to do is give me a relatively flat surface, maybe just a hair of cushioning. Anytime, any place, I will be asleep. And, you know, the funny thing about sleep is that it can creep up on you uh, at any time without you even knowing it. You know, one minute you're in bed, you're swiping through your phone, looking at Facebook, you know, looking on Instagram, the posts from today, seeing if there's any new Snapchat stories, and then the next minute, boom, you're startled awake because you just dropped the phone on your face. And, you know, in the same manner, I have a tendency to fall asleep spiritually. You know, when the waves are crashing around me in my life, when the storm of my life is rising up around me, I have a tendency uh, to spiritually fall asleep. And even more so, as, as a longtime Christian, it's easy to fall asleep. It's easy to think, you know, I go to church. My life is good. What could be wrong? I, I would never fall asleep like Jonah. This guy's ridiculous. Did you know that First Peter uh, 5 verse 8 tells us that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour? That's a scary thought that I can easily forget when life is going good, you know. That I, at all times, have the roar and growling of the devil trying to flood my life and sink me from the presence of the Lord at all times. I can't afford to be asleep, even one second. I can't afford to drift off and have that phone hit me and startle me awake, lest I be taken by the devil. So, you might be thinking... How do I prevent this? Well, I don't know. But thankfully, the Bible knows. 
And it gives us three easy, easy ways that we can make sure that we do not fall spiritually asleep. Number one, read your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped and competent for every good work. Number one, read your Bible. Number two, we can pray. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Number one, read your Bible. Number two, pray. Number three, fellowship. Hebrews 10, verse 25 tells us, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. You know, I love at CTK now, as I was thinking about this morning, I don't think there's an option to not be involved. We've got Kids Place, we've got the tweens starting up, we've got Youth Group, we've got Young Adults, we've got Koinonia, and we've got the Boomer's Lunch. I think we have the age from zero up to 100 covered. And, you know, sometimes we need the jolt of another person to wake us up and, and get back into reality to see what's going on. Kind of like what happens at the end of, of Jonah 6 here. Jonah gets awakened and told to call on his God so that they may not perish. Verse 7 goes on. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So at this point, I still don't see anywhere, actually, where it doesn't say anywhere where Jonah has called on God yet before they started casting lots. And so if you're not aware, casting lots is, um, it involved throwing sticks or stones with a marking on it, and the idea was they'd get guidance from God. God would use the lots to show people his will. And there's instances of lots being cast all the way up until, up until Pentecost. And nowadays, we actually we don't need to cast lots anymore because we have the guidance from God through the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us, which God sent on Pentecost. And if you're here last week, like Matt talked about, we have the Holy Spirit in us now, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be spoken to, and we can make known to us who the reality of Jesus is. So verse 8 goes on saying, Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? Verse 9, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So the lots fell upon Jonah, and these sailors, they just instantly look at, jo look at Jonah, and they start accosting him. Who are you? Where did you come from? What people are you from? And Jonah's response is fairly simple. You know, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a prophet who fears the Lord. And instantly, the men were afraid. You know, there's, there's, funny, some, 
there's something funny about uh, professing God or even saying the name God or Lord. You know, like we sung today, that the name and the power just in God's name can, can raise the dead. And if you just mention the name God or, or you say the Lord or something, instantly people always understand who you're talking about. And, and people always have a reaction. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. Sometimes, you know, some people get curious. They, their ears kind of perk up. Some people might suddenly just get a little quiet. They kind of get disinterested. Or some people actually even get angry. I've seen some people, you know, just out of nowhere, just abnormally get very angry just by the mention of the name God or Jesus. And um, something that I've noticed more and more as I take on more in the church here is how uh, when people start relating you with God or the church, that uh, just seemingly random, they seem to open up about things that you might not expect them to. They just open up and talk. And that's just all in the power of God's name. Uh, so I don't know if you guys heard, but on Thursday morning, um, I met with Matt Thursday morning. We went and grabbed breakfast, and then we came down here and just went over, you know, the sermon, and we were going to go over just the plan for Sunday and stuff like that. And so we walked in this door here, and I was walking behind Matt, and Matt kind of stops right around here, and he goes, he calls out. He goes, hello, who's there? And uh, we look up, and right over up on, on the top level there, uh, we actually saw a man uh, sitting there at about 7 in the morning. Um, he was a pretty, pretty rough-looking guy. He, you know, we found a, he's pretty hungover. We found a bottle of alcohol underneath him, and it was a little bit of a shock to, to both of us. We didn't really know what to do, so we sat down and started chatting with him, and, and I think even more interesting than this guy getting in here um, is the idea of how we just sat down and just totally unprovoked, uh, this guy just started opening up to us. He just started, you know, sharing stories about his faith life, sharing stories about his work life, just totally random. And, and it was really interesting. And then later on in the day, I, I got thinking about just what a different life this, this guy lives. You know, he, he squats on, on crown land around here. He's, he's a clean guy. He you know, and, and just how different of a life he has compared to me. He had his own troubles. He had his own trials. He had his own rough seas that he was going through that I actually couldn't even really think of until I heard it from him. And, and sometimes I was thinking how easy it is to come into this church, come into these walls, and use these walls as our ship and take refuge from from the storm of life. And sometimes it's easy for me to forget that, you know, I come into this place and I can take refuge from the storm of life. But there's other lost sailors out there. There's a lot of lost sailors out there that are calling on their own gods in the form of, of alcohol or, or addictions and drugs. And, and they're in our community and they're going through trials and they don't have the same almighty God that I get to call on. And how how easy it is for me to just rest in my faith that I have God, I'm all good, at the same time forgetting that 
There's people just outside these walls going through the same storms, raging. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. What have you done? The sailors ask what to do. They're scared. They're unsure about the next move. They're exhausted. They've done everything they can to do. They've thrown cargo overboard. They've prayed to their gods, and the sea just keeps on getting more and more tempest. Jonah replies to them in verse 12. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And so at this point, I think Jonah has realized his error. And in my mind, I think he's began to repent. He's accepted the fact that, you know what, there's no point in running. God will get what he wants. You know, Jonah screwed up, and he's willing to accept his consequences. Come on, boys, pick me up and throw me overboard. That's all I got. That's all you can do. But let me tell you, these dudes, these guys, if you're looking for some new friends, these are the dudes to have as friends. Rather than, you know, if it was me on that ship, I'd be, yeah, I'd give him a boot right over the edge. You'd be done. But these guys are go, you know, no, no, we're going to dig deep. We're going to start rowing as hard as we can. Verse 13, verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Now, I have a feeling uh, in the back of their head, they were probably a lot like me. They were thinking, yeah, we want to get this guy overboard because we're going to die here. But the, in the forefront of their mind is the fear of the Lord. They do not dare throw a prophet overboard. Instead, they rely on the strength of man. If I can just row hard enough, I might be able to make it. But as we all know, when man goes against God, God will win. Verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You see, these sailors, they got to the end of their ropes. They could row no more. The waves continued to beat against them. And finally, they just had to rely on God. They had to surrender to God. And by faith, they followed through with God's plan and trusted that his will is good, that he'll look after them. So they picked up Jonah. They heaved him overboard. And what do you know? The sea ceased from raging. You see, these men, they took a step of faith. And the Lord honored that, and in return, he took care of them. These men didn't call out to God. They didn't say to God, Lord, just stop the sea. Just calm the sea, and then we'll throw Jonah overboard. Instead, no, they acted on faith, and God is good. You see, as much as, as Jonah chapter 1 here is about our main character, Jonah, it's also about our supporting characters, these sailors. In the beginning of the story, these, 
these sailors, they're searching. They're calling on their gods to look after them. And then they go through a time of, of earthly efforts. You know, they, they try to row as hard as they can. They start calling on their gods to look after them. They, they think, I'll just do it on my own. If my god's not going to help me, I'll just do it by myself. I don't need help from anyone or anything. And then finally they go through a time of, of release and faith. And, and by trusting in God and accepting his, his help. And in the same manner of these sailors, of throwing one man overboard, seemingly to certain death, to die, to save many, in the same way we have Jesus, one man that got thrown overboard to death to save me, to save you. And all he asks for is that step of faith, to put your trust in him, and he will bring you through any trials or tempest seas that you may be going through. Verse 17 ends it here. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You see, Jonah, which we'll get more into next time when, whenever I get back up here, he's an awesome metaphor for Jesus. In the same manner of Jesus going into the tomb for three days, Jonah went down into the belly of the fish for three days. You see, Jesus shed his blood for you so that you may live, live in the same way that Jonah, in, in their mind, shed his blood so that the sailors may live. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And um, today we're actually going to go, we're going to uh, partake in communion. And communion is a time um, when we can come together and we can remember the, the sacrifice that God made for us. You see, like Jonah did for the sailors, the same thing Jesus has gone into the sea for us. He's taken the plunge. He's gone into certain death. He's cleansed, he's cleansed us of our sins. And you know, the thing about communion is that just by participating in communion, it doesn't make you a Christian. It, but, but by truly accepting Christ's sacrifice, by truly accepting that he has gone and shed his blood for you is what gives you eternal life. And, and so this act of communion here is, is a way that we show our remembrance for the ultimate sacrifice. And so if you haven't asked Christ into your heart this morning, and you want to, it's very simple. Before partaking communion, you just, all you need to do is pray, Lord, I need you in my life. I want to give up control and, and quit fighting my own battles, and, and I need you to calm my sea.